When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. there rock and rollers welcome to the 118th episode of the ugly american werewolf in london rock podcast brought to you by me your host mac b the wolf from amsterdam though i'm no longer in london and i may not be in amsterdam all that much longer either but i still have all of my very favorite bands from england over the years so don't expect a change in the name and I will be joined here, as usual, by my co-host, partner in crime from the East Coast of the United States, Gary Action Jackson. And it's an interesting time here on The Wolf, as I mentioned here. We call it the Ugly American Werewolf in London because I lived in London for the last three and a half years, right off Abbey Road. So happy to be there and all that rock and roll history. Got to see some killer shows after COVID, of course. And then we continued our European journey, moved to Amsterdam. But it looks like the European part of the tour might be coming to an end. We may just be moving back to America here soon. So you have to stay tuned to see where in the world I might be. But don't expect the name to change, folks, because I'm still an Anglophile when it comes to my rock and roll, as is Action Jackson. It's not like we don't like American bands. It just so happens that most of the bands we love just happen to be British, and you can't deny the list of amazing, amazing rockers from over the years. And we still enjoy doing shows about bands that maybe maybe they made it big in the UK, but they didn't make it in the US, or vice versa. And today's show is about two legends who are, in fact, English, who did have great success really on both sides of the pond, and to be honest with you, all around the world. And that's David Coverdale and Jimmy Page, who in 1993 had a collaboration called Coverdale Page at the behest of John Kalodner of Geffen fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, who decided they should get together after Jimmy tried to maybe do something with Robert Plant or tried to get a Led Zeppelin reunion off the ground. Didn't work out, so Kalodner's like, hey, I know, Coverdale, why don't you do something with him? This album came out when we were in college. We lived together. We bought the record as soon as it came out. It was all over rock radio with Pride and Joy, Shake My Tree, Take Me For A Little While. It was on MTV back when they showed videos by bands who played instruments and and wrote their own songs. The young people today might look that up on YouTube to see what that was like. But at any rate, it was a special time in our lives. And we even bought tickets to see them in concert. Now, that concert didn't happen in the United States. 
That tour got canceled. We'll get into that on the show. But for all you Zeppelin fans out there, for you Whitesnake fans out there, and we've done shows on many Zeppelin shows. We've done a Whitesnake show with Sonny Pooney last year. I, I think you'll like going through this one and what we have to say about this one. Plus, it's the 30th anniversary. Came out in mid-March all around the world, and we're hopeful that there might be some kind of special 30th anniversary edition coming out soon. Fingers crossed on that one. In the meantime, i got to take care of a little bit of business here, folks. As usual, we like to mention that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network of shows, a family of about 100 different shows, almost all music-related and really all genres. There's something in there for everyone. We have had guests on from other shows. We have guested on other folks' shows, like Jay at the Hook Rocks, like Tom and Zeus from the world's number one Kiss show, Shout It Out Loudcast. Like our sister, Christy Alexander Hallberg of Rock is Lit. Like our dear friend, Paul Stevenson of This Day Rocks and Vintage Rock Pod. Like Martin Popoff of History in Five Songs. And the CEO, Christian Swain and Rock and Roll Archaeology. And we have to thank our amazing sponsors at RareVinyl.com, an English company, but they ship all around the world. And guys, they've been doing this for 40 years. I know we've got a lot of record collectors out there. You like Led Zeppelin? You like Whitesnake? You're looking for something rare from Coverdale Page? Go to rarevinyl.com or to eil.com. Find something that you love. Use the code PODCAST and you can save 10% off your orders. They have an amazing team. I've been to their warehouse. I've met their record buyers. I've met the whole team. They're great folks. They have a five-star rating on Trust Radius. They have over a quarter of a million things in stock. Albums, singles, CDs, posters, tour books, ticket stubs. Whatever you might be looking for, you might just be able to find it on Rare Vinyl. I guarantee you there's lots of stuff. If Easter's coming up, hey, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. It's your birthday. Whatever it is, go to rarevinyl.com. Use the code podcast. Save yourself 10%. But back to Coverdale Page. Yes, Jimmy took some guff from using David Coverdale just because Coverdale had often sounded so much like Robert Plant over the years, including some guff from Robert Plant. And they had to downplay that a little bit in the press. Those are questions they had to answer. And it's kind of part of the whole thing. But this must have gotten Robert's attention because it was not too long after this that the whole unleaded thing happened. The great DVD, VHS, live album, and then eventually tour that Jimmy and Robert embarked on in 1994. And I think it also went into 1995. So hopefully you'll like this one. This is me and Jackson going through Coverdale Page on its 30th anniversary right here on The Wolf. So should we talk about Coverdale Page, the 1993 album that we listened to a ton in 1993? I mean, a ton in our dorm room in Elizabeth Hall in Winter Park, Florida, 1993. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we start with the uh, airing of the grievances? Airing of the grievances. Please, please, let's start that way because there's always something to bitch about. What is that? What is this? That, what is this? That looks like the cover. That looks like the cover. What is the cover? The cover is a is a sign. I guess this is a sign to merge on the highway. Yes, that's what this is. Okay, it's literally a picture of a sign with a blue background that looks like clouds. Correct. And it says Coverdale Page. That's right. Okay. Thank you for nothing. <laughs> you know who did that cover, don't you? Who was that? Uh, that would be fellow Pantheon podcaster Hugh Syme of Music Buzz. Okay. I I don't want to say it was. I mean, it's it. If this was the okay, so if this was the cover. 
then the rest of it is going to make me upset because you could take this as an artistic expression. Right. Okay. But then when you open it up, I'm going to want to see pictures of the band. I'm going to want to see other stuff. Sure. There's nothing. There's this sign again. It's in a wood pile. Mm -hmm. It's with some cows. <laughs> it's in front of the pyramids in Egypt. I remember that. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here now? We have it in a, I guess, a car graveyard on the beach and then out in the middle of the ocean. And that is it. Done. No, no pictures of Jimmy or David to see. I'm going to nope. disadvantage there because I still don't have my records with me. Maybe in the next couple months. That's, that'll that's why that's why I wanted to get this out, out of storage mm -hmm. in the vault and go through it because I remember looking at this thinking, this wait a minute, this is it. There is a cool like a like a crest of the C and the P ah. that's on the actual CD. And then if you open it up, it's the first image that you see in here but then that's it like there's no promotional photos or anything i don't know whether they weren't available for it or what the deal was i remember seeing uh photos later on of the two of them but there's nothing in this in this gatefold in this cd interesting well i mean david must have liked what hugh did for white snake 87 that uh, now that is a really that's a cool cover and actually this cover wouldn't be bad if they had more stuff on the inside Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. This, this is, it, it could have been 
it could have been iconic if this was the only thing that they used, but they reused it 18 times on the inside of this. But so, but, and look, and it, it's, you know, when you then later see like snakes and arrows or some of the stuff that he did with Rush later on, you kind of see, oh, that's definitely Hugh Syme. Now that I know yeah. his aesthetics and stuff like that's definitely him. You know, the band was kind of working title could have been called Legends. I think mm-hmm. it's good that they didn't do that. I think they also, for a while, were going to call themselves North and South. And I don't know if that, I would love to ask you if that had something to do with influencing that cover, because maybe he was thinking of a sign that had, you know, an arrow going up and an arrow going down. Like maybe that would be both North and South. I don't know. So Uh then my, my question is, who's the straight line and who's the one joining on the highway? Well, I know who I would say was the straight line. I got a pretty good idea who you're going to say too. <laughs> and it's not the first person listed, even though that's, that's kind of the way that it makes you think about this. Like, Oh, it's Coverdale and page. No, it's <laughs> Jimmy page and the person that he has singing for him on this record. And he's picked up Coverdale. Coverdale. That's right. Correct. That's right. So Correct. what we like to do is kind of go back in time and say, set it up and say what was going on in the bands or in these musicians lives this time to create mm-hmm. this album. What have they done previously? So obviously in the late eighties and the early nineties, David had huge success with white snake. The white snake 87 album was a huge seller for him and the follow-up, you know, went platinum, maybe not, not didn't do quite as well. Uh, what was that one called? Uh, Slip of the tongue. Slip of the tongue. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, and, and featured, Steve I, I guess, on there. And stuff. Right. But and David said, that's it. I think I've done for a while. I, I just made a bunch of money and I'm kind of sick of the music industry. And, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, just going to take a break and I'm, I'll probably take a little time off and then decide if I really want to do this for the rest of my life. Meanwhile, Jimmy had kind of emerged from the end of Led Zeppelin. In the mid 80s, he did a couple albums with The Firm. Paul Rogers and Chris Slade, uh, who was on show 81, and The Frontless Monster. Tony Franklin. Tony Franklin, which kind of missed the mark. I have a greater appreciation for it now, but mm-hmm. at the time, it was kind of like, well, there's some cool bits in here, but it's just, considering all the talent that's in that band, it really just didn't congeal yeah. the way we kind of hoped for, right? So then, you know, Jimmy did the Outrider album, which is a little bit of a mixed bag. It had some. It had three different singers on it. Also had instrumentals on it. I mean, including Robert Plant. But uh, and then he worked hard on the remasters, which were huge. Obviously, we bought those. The Zeppelin, the first Zeppelin box set, and some of the stuff that came after. Zeppelin did play Nebworth in 1990, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and did Wearing a Tearing off of Coda, which was really cool. And obviously the first time we'd heard that live, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. So you kind of got the idea that Paige was gearing up for something. And it sounds like that a Zeppelin reunion was floated. You know, like it would be like a kind of a 10 yeah. years later, okay, we've had our time. Let's do Zeppelin. I think they were all considering it, except Robert Plant, who is generally the reason uh, why Zeppelin has not gotten back together. It's it's always Robert. He's always like, nope, I don't need this. And at the time, it was, I think that would hurt my solo career. Like if I, mm-hmm. he was still building it. Now and Zen had done pretty well. And so he was he was still doing that. And he was doing fine at it, honestly. And, and you know, it's like Jimmy's like, okay, well, okay, now I got to go find something to do. And, he's, and I saw an interview with him on Finnish television of all places on YouTube he and David, and he was talking about how he was antsy to kind of do something again because he's healthy now. He's not loaded all right. the time. And he's getting all these tapes of these singers like, none, none of this is working. None of this is inspiring me. And then once again, it was John Kalotner, A&R legend of Geffen Records, who obviously knew David from the White Snake 
said, hey, why don't you and Jimmy kind of get together and, and try something? So like, well, all right, let's meet and see if we even get along, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they went to New York and they met and they kind of hit up a storm. And there's kind of a very famous, they decided to walk around New York together and it caused the scene because people know who <laughs> Jimmy Page is. And he's a bit of a recluse, right? I mean, you don't yeah. see Jimmy Page on the streets too much. So, uh, and then David Coverdale with that blonde mane stands out pretty well. And people are like, oh, you're going to do something. You're going to get together, you know, that kind of thing. So that's early 1991. And then throughout the year, both at David's place in Lake Tahoe, where he still, I believe, resides, and down to Barbados, they wrote some songs together. And it started to kind of become this, this album here. Something I did not know was in that early springtime, their first appearance together on stage was with Poison. <laughs> to play rock and roll. <laughs> and I'm like, that sucks. That that takes it down a big notch in my book. You know? Well, and I, I was thinking the same thing, but, I, but you got to remember too, like Poison was really big at that point in time, like the early 90s. Like right. that was kind of there. There, So I could see how that they would think to themselves, this is a great way to get in front of people because they've got a huge crowd. But yes, those two things don't seem to go together at all. Did Poison used to do rock and roll uh, live, like a cover of it or something like that? I don't remember that. I do remember that when they did that Moscow Peace and Prosperity concert. Remember uh-huh. that? Like, in they did, I think Sebastian Bach did rock and roll with Jason Bonham on the drums. So that could have been one of those things that was like floating around where everybody kind of took a turn. Okay, gotcha. All right. Well, I mean, you know, that's fine. Look, you're right. Poison was still big at that point, and it it was way maybe they're just in town, like, oh, yeah, we'll go to this show, and maybe we'll just show up and play, and, you know, great for Poison to be able to play with them. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting time that this comes out, though. I mean, this is post-grunge, right? Grunge really takes off fall of 1991. By 93, it's kind of what everybody's doing. And obviously, this is not trying to be grunge. This is kind of more timeless bluesy kind of stuff. Mm. Not really trying, but I'm glad that it came out post-grunge. Because if it came out in fall of 91 or early 92, I think it would have just been clobbered. I mean, it, it did go platinum in the U.S. I think it may have gone platinum in Canada Sold a couple million around the world and had five singles off of it. So uh, with varying degrees of success. So obviously it was a hit to us because our tastes skew older. And we were just so psyched to have something from Jimmy Page, right? Well, you didn't. And and I was trying to think about this in the context of when it came out, because we got that we got our hands on this when it was new and you didn't know anything else about what was going to happen in 1993. So I remember when we, when we camped out for those rush tickets. So what was that? 91, maybe Mm -hmm. 92. We, we were in line with this old crusty dude who had like his whole setup. Like he had a little hammock. He had, he made, he was ready to go. He had done this before. And so we just struck up the conversation with him. Okay. What's the coolest, you know, concert you've ever seen. You say, oh man, I saw Zeppelin back in the day. And I remember thinking to myself, that's never going to happen. Like that's never going to happen. So when this record came out, I think we were both on the same page with this is, if this is what we're going to get from Jimmy Page, we are going to enjoy this because he will never, ever get back with Robert Plant. That's right. You know, so like, yeah, let's get it. Let's get Jimmy right away. And tickets are going on sale for them to come to the arena. Let's go get some of those. So we dutifully did. We had two tickets to see Jimmy Page and David Coverdale at the Orlando Arena. Now, I when I was looking at this, I was trying to see, you know, that show never happened. But right. 
if it did, who was going to be the opening act? I don't know. Vince Neil on his solo tour. Uh, Vince Neil and the Atomic Playboys. <laughs> I think Steve Stevens was in the Atomic Playboys. Steve, he was, yes. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole other story about how apparently he showed up and there was no music for the Vince Neil solo record. <laughs> so when you said come and play on the record, you really meant write the music to come it. And, yeah, because yeah. Vince can't write music. No. But so that would have been an odd show. Definitely two things that, that really didn't go together, like Poison and and this. And that's that's kind of what the story of this is a little murky, too, because the reason that show didn't happen is a little there's a couple of different versions of why it didn't happen. Well, you know, and of course, you know, uh, they had on the drums, they had Denny Carmazzi doing drums and then they had Ricky Phillips uh, doing a lot of the bass, though. I mean, Jimmy did some of the bass uh, and I think had a couple other folks in there. But when they went on tour, they kind of realigned it a little bit and Guy Pratt became their mm -hmm. bass player. And it was supposed to be a tour of their Japan, Europe, and the U.S. Well, the Japan tour went off and they did like six or seven dates. I don't know if Jimmy was dying to do it, but David's like, come on, we got to go do this. And so they did. And there are bootlegs of those shows, and you can see some of it on YouTube. It's a pretty cool set list, which we can talk a little bit maybe at the end of the show. But they, they went in and canceled because I think Jimmy was okay to do theaters, but David thought that was a step backwards. It's like, no, right. we, you know, we, you're in Led Zeppelin, I'm White Snake, we're doing the big shows, we're not going to do that. So, like, okay, we book arenas, and I just don't think it sold that well. I mean, it sold to us, but it didn't sell to enough other people. So they canceled it. They canceled the European and the American tour. And it wasn't too long after that that Jimmy got the, the call from Robert's people saying, hey, we've got an offer to do MTV Unplugged. It's like, okay, well, what if we did our own thing, mm -hmm. which, of course, became Unleaded, which was – super duper huge important to us in a lot of ways so then this kind of became a bit of a dead issue it's like we're going to try this we're going to go out okay go on the road we're going to give it a shot yeah record companies behind us okay yeah and then pff, it's straight over it's straight mm -hmm. up over and i don't know if it was robert saw how i mean look this wasn't a five or ten million seller this did pretty well it wasn't fantastically successful but i wonder if you saw it. jimmy can do things and he is in good shape now maybe it's time to go ahead and uh and and rekindle that fire a little bit and i wonder too i always thought about this when when they got back together was robert plan thinking of all the people of all the people that you could have done this with <laughs> you pick the one dude who basically has been accused of ripping me off his entire career i don't know whether that made him upset like are you trying to are you trying to go around me i don't know what he was thinking and then the the story of them getting back together is also a little murky where it's like Jimmy says, oh, no, they invited me to this Boston show. And Plant said, I didn't know he was going to be there at all. And he just showed up. OK, I right. don't know. Yeah. You know, uh, a little he said, she said. It's also a very yeah. English thing to do. It's going, oh, no, that's not what happened. Here's what happened. Like, yeah, sure. It is. Here's the thing. I, I used to because I remember Plant going on at the Letterman show around that time. You know, and Letterman asked himself, like, you know, you're. You still uh, you still cling to some of your Zeppelin heritage? She goes, yeah, but I don't cling as hard as Jimmy Page does, or something along those lines. Like you know, I don't you know, I don't try to relive it the way Jimmy Page does. And kind of got the ooh from the crowd, you know, when that happened. It was obviously a swipe at Coverdale. And in that same Finnish interview, 
they kind of at the end, David's kind of like, I really don't know where this came from. You know, for a long time, Robert was an honored guest at my shows, whether it's Purple or Early White Snake, which was a pretty bluesy kind of outfit before it became the kind of glam rock thing that it did in the late 80s. But it's like, you know, we were friends, we had nice things to say. And then after I took off and had all this success in the late 80s, that's when the nasty comments started to come in. So hmm. I, I, don't, I don't really know what that was about. Of course, Jimmy was kind of defending David. It's like, well, it's very short-sighted of Robert to to say that sort of thing and trying to be a, a little bit diplomatic while sticking up for David. I was, I sided, well, look, back then I sided with Jimmy Page. I'm like, screw you, plant. You've been making plenty of stuff on your own. We want to see Jimmy Page. You don't want to do it with him. That's fine. You can't tell him not to do it with someone else. And David mm-hmm. was available and, 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 and just, just buzz off. Now I, I go back and listen to it now, having a much deeper understanding of the Zeppelin catalog and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, there are some times on here, like, that is ex- that sounds exactly like Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin. I mean, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes you can't help that you sound a little bit like somebody else. Right. But this was like, I mean, it was like you were trying because that's exactly the way they captured it. So I, now, now it makes more sense to what Plant was saying. Like, I get it now. Because every time Kingdom Come would sound a little bit like, oh, you mean Kingdom Clone? Or White Snake's got a little bit, oh, you mean David Cover version of Like Snake? And he always had all these cute little names. It's almost like Donald Trump that way. But I was just so happy to have Jimmy back in good shape, mm-hmm. sober, and and playing some, some pretty good guitar. It, it's a little, it's a mixed bag, this album, a little bit. But there's some really great Jimmy stuff on here. Yeah, yeah. There, there are some gems, and there are some songs where maybe you could have left it off. Or the other thing is, when you look at this, let's see, what is the... Bum, it's a, bum, it's bum, a long bum. hour. It's like 61 it, minutes. Yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff you could have trimmed off of this thing. There are a couple songs where, okay, we get it. Let's let's move on here. Oh, we're going we're gonna to go for another two minutes on this thing? Holy Christmas. Yes, they could have definitely tightened things up and maybe left a track or two off of this thing. If this was like 40 minutes, 42 minutes, this this may have been sounded a lot different. Or maybe even 50. I mean, like all the singles, it seems like they had shorter versions of them, uh, of the five singles. You know, they would take mm-hmm. a minute off here or two minutes off here or something like that. Plus, of course, there's a few songs that didn't make the album that we can talk about. Okay. Hi, I'm Deborah Bonham. And I am the Irish werewolf in England, Peter Bullock. <laughs> and you're listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. Starting off with Shake My Tree. Good way to start the album, man. You know, it's a very precise kind of acoustic electric thing that Jimmy's going on there, but I, but I liked it. This was not the first song that I heard. I think the first song, the first single was Pride and Joy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I remember like, eh, yeah, nah, nah, nah. okay. But when this came out, that riff at the beginning, I just said, I'm buying this record now. Yep. Jimmy's back. It sounds great. The, the song is, it's a little, it's a little long. But that riff is fantastic. I guess he had had it kicking around for a while. Yeah, it, it was, and and I think he it was in the Zeppelin days, in through the outdoor, right? And eh, whatever. And then I guess he brought it to Paul Rogers for the firm, and Rogers didn't really like it. Yeah, and so they didn't use it. And then Coverdale heard it and it's like, oh no, we're this is we're definitely using this. And it's a good song, you know. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's and David's got his very raspy, you know, voice here. Kind of yeah. builds up to that minute eighteen mark when the heavy riff comes in because you're kind of doing the acoustic yeah. groove thing. And then uh, uh, uh. I don't want to be a slave. 
doing some early Robert Plant stuff there. Kicking Down My Door, when he's singing that bit, that sounds exactly like Plant, <laughs> you know. Now, do you hear a little harmonica on this, or is that yes. Jimmy Is that Jimmy giving a little bit of that that kind of when the levee breaks guitar? Uh, it's, I, I was, it definitely sounds like a harmonica. He's credited with harmonica, but it, it could be. I don't know. He, he is on the fourth song. I'm not sure if it's this song or not. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, there definitely is a harmonica sounding thing. Mm-hmm. On, on this on this track, and and you know going back to Coverdale sounding like pay a plant in this on this record was that maybe Kalodner pushing him because I mean you know you have to you have it's a good idea but you have to sell records and at this point right. in time White Snake's not really selling so do you kind of push it for more of the Zeppelin sound I don't know yeah exactly you know so I mean it, now it, it, I think it's the fourth single overall the. Second okay. in the U.S., maybe. Some of it's a little bit murky. But, I mean, look, we, we, we listen to rock radio. We don't listen to pop radio anyway. And they would definitely play this. But look, it went to number three on the mainstream rock chart. Uh, I'm not sure about the Billboard overall. But mainstream rock, that means people like you and me who listen to rock and roll, they heard it. They mm. It was out there. And look, it's it's a killer way. It's kind of like, okay, we're, we're off and running here. We got a little something going here, Jimmy. You know, welcome they- back. And they did play this live when Plant Page got together. They did? They did, yes. Ah, see, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, because I remember when they started into it, I said, well, that's interesting because I would have thought that Robert Plant wanted this thing dead and buried. But to play that, they played this and they played way, uh, Calling to You, I think, from State from of Robert. Nations. Yeah. Yeah, so this was like the two, like, hey, here's our solo stuff we're throwing in. But I was very surprised when they went into this. Yeah, I, I, I kind of recall that now because we didn't get the set list beforehand like no. we can now. So we right. show up and you wonder what they're going to play. Though I remember that. You're right. It did kind of take back take me back like, uh, are you sure? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to hear it. I'm just surprised that he would have even acknowledged any of this material. I know. I know. All right. So second song, Waiting on You. Mm-hmm. This is another big, heavy riff. But David Coverdale is doing a little more of his, his bluesy thing a little bit more it's it's more like it's it's white snake it's more white snake to me yes but yeah. without the glossy 80s sheen all over it more of a back to blues post grunge you know i think coverdale is good doing coverdale he doesn't need to do robert plant i, I made it i made a note on that on shake my tree where i don't really like it where he's screaming i know it's unnecessary yeah this sounds this is more this suits his vocal stylings more this song Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. More of a blues 
use that raspy blues voice of his, you know. Yeah. And, and Jimmy isn't overworking here. You know, the, the, the solo isn't special. There's a little starting and stopping in the middle, which is a little off-putting. It also seems unnecessary. I don't mm. love this one. It's, it's a little interesting to me that they put this at number two. But obviously, they must have liked it. So good for them, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> How long is this one? Let's see. This is... Because I had a note that this one seems kind of long also. Yeah, it's it's 516. Yeah, they're all a little long. I mean, there's only 11 songs and it's 61 minutes long. So <laughs> except for maybe Pride and Joy, they're all a little long. It seems to me. I mean, yeah. their compositions, I get it. And some of them are kind of orchestrated, but yeah, I'm with but the, you there. But see, the, pro- the problem is like, if you go and listen to those old Metallica songs, like from the first three records that are like seven or eight minutes long, there's like a middle part of it where it's almost like a different, like they, they go into, it, it fits into the song, but it's a different part of that. They don't sure. have any of that here. This is like the same thing. Okay. We're going to do the refrain again. Oh, right. Right. It's just here longer. Yeah. Yes. And look, take me for a little while. The third song, which was a pretty big hit for them, it's over six minutes long. Uh, Now, I remember Coverdale saying that MTV thought it was too gothic and they didn't play it that much. But I remember seeing it on MTV. It it was in pretty heavy rotation. They had some some, uh, effects there that are not very special. Uh, <laughs> you mean like the foxy girl who turned into a centipede or a lizard or whatever? Yeah, no, that was. I and mean, it's like ball floating around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like pretty girl, awesome, good thinking. Put her in the video, but sometimes she's a lizard and sometimes she's a centipede. Yeah, I don't yeah. really, I don't really get it. But I mean, obviously, a big stage, big set. You know, looks like mm. it's in a old castle or something like that with a big long table and jimmy's got that acoustic guitar which on top of it has something else yeah i was trying to figure out it is there there's got to be a name for that but i don't know what it is it but it was freaky to look at i'd never seen anything like that before in the intro part i know and then and then it you know when he goes into it it morphs into a les paul and i just remember thinking that was really cool because you know, now we're getting into the heavy part, and Jimmy looks good in the video. He's yeah, he he's, uh, he's got the the cool looking coat on, and and the, uh, the hair black looks hair. good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just because I remember thinking that too. Like, man, it's been a while, and I know he's had a rough ride. And then I don't outright, or I kind of remember. I remember it coming out. I remember the cover, but this was the first time I'd seen him in a long time, and he looked really good in this video. He did. You know, I had the cool elevator kind of going up while he's doing mm-hmm. his solo or whatever. I don't know. I, I do think that this is some of Jimmy's best playing on the record. You think in 93, when grunge was all the rage and Metallica was ruling the charts, this is almost easy listening. Now <laughs> my days are growing cold All the memories unfold Thinking about the friends we lost Wondering how to count the cost Now my days are growing cold Almost. You know. <laughs> Almost, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and apparently it's from losses that they both sustained in their lives that they could kind of relate to. So it's like, all right, there's a little bit of a heaviness there. There's a little bit of grandioseness to the song and the way it builds in some places, mm-hmm. the way that the guitar solo builds. It's actually, it, it's a guitar solo that makes sense within the confines of the song. Obviously, sometimes Jimmy is pretty sloppy. It's kind of like, all right, well, I mean, it's cool, but it's, it's just basically a blues run, Jimmy. But this actually 
fit the song perfectly. Yeah. And and it sounds yeah like you're right the the playing that is more crisp like you can hear each note instead of yeah he kind of sometimes he just kind of wanders mm-hmm. all over the place. But this one was was pretty well put. I mean, put together pretty tightly considering it's over six minutes long. Yeah, still a good song. Still like that one, and it's cool that that Gavin put the money into the video as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, okay, because yes, that that meant that they really wanted to push this thing and they wanted it to be a hit. And I think you're right. Had this come out in 1991, this would have been it would have been laughed at because that's not you know it's not it's Nirvana. Grunge. Yeah, exactly. correct, correct. Yeah. So it so in '93, this was kind of a nice change of pace where it wasn't just like doom and gloom all the time. That's right, you know. And David tells a story about he was sitting on the video shoot, you know, doing something uh, and talking about ideas he's had and stuff like that. And some woman who you know who worked at Geffen is like, "Oh, David, MTV and videos have changed since you were on MTV." He was like, "I'm still fucking on MTV, you know, kind of." <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it showed you know there was there was new people at Geffen because I, I don't know if Geffen had already sold it with the huge success he'd had from like Aerosmith and Nirvana and huh. all that money he'd already made from it. I don't know, but he said there was change afoot at Geffen, and it, obviously it was like the grunge people were in charge at that point, and like you're an old old dream kind of thing. But that's okay, but because the Pride and Joy was also a video where they kind of started off in the studio, and you see them kind of jamming in there, those guys, and mm-hmm. then there's also like a big wet, you know, movie soundstage kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Where they're they're performing the song, if you will, but that's a, that's a dulcimer to start this thing out with, right? Yeah, that was this is another one too. Where it, this was the first single, and I remember thinking, well, this is an odd choice for the first single because it it sounds it works, but it sounds just that that riff at the beginning is just not hard enough. I wouldn't have thought to lead this thing off. I you know, I, I like it. It's it's kind of mm. cool, it's melodic, and then when they come in with that <clears throat> big riff yeah. comes and then you're like, okay, now I'm here. But you know, once again, Coverdale's doing a bit of a plant thing on this, you know. The, again, I mean if you're looking for where does he sound like Robert Plant, here's one for sure. Yeah. Also, I think we knew it was a single. It's the shortest song of the album by far, only like three and a half minutes or so. Also, mm-hmm. Jimmy squeezes in a lot. I mean, he plays the dulcimer, which he hadn't done in a long time. He plays the harmonica, which allegedly he hadn't done on a record since 1965 or something like that. Yeah, because so, the, yeah. the Zeppelin stuff was all Robert Plant, right? Playing the harmonica? For the for most part, that's the way yeah. I understand it, yeah. So, but, you know, it, it is a very Jimmy kind of song. Like, it's it's... He's got the different tracks. He's got it layered with different acoustic, you know, uh, guitars yeah. driving the song. I'll tell you one thing in the video that was kind of weird is that there's this one or two shots where you see him from behind and he's kind of engulfed in smoke or fog. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's got the double neck, but he's got his back turned to you and he's a little yes. far away. So, you know, you can't see it. And maybe it was because they didn't have the red Gibson. It was a different 
maybe maybe it was a white oh, one or it was a different okay. make or something like that and they didn't want to show it or maybe they're just kind of teasing you <laughs> um but uh and then at the end he's definitely using some of that when the levee breaks guitar sound these things oh yeah. that's the harmonica again right I'm like i don't i don't think it is because they show him playing the harmonica during the harmonica bit during the other part he's he's playing the guitar so i don't know if he's got some kind of cool when the levee breaks pedal you know or effect or something like that but this did really well number one on mainstream rock anytime you get a number one hit even though it's not the billboard main charts anytime you get a number one hit that's a big deal yeah and i think that propelled it into the the consciousness of everyone. I was surprised it sold a million, and then I wasn't. I don't know. It was it was because I remember it on the radio. I remember I remember. I mean, I bought a copy, and I and so when I was looking at sales, I didn't know like this could have been four hundred thousand or it could have been a million. I don't know just because what was the record buying public doing in nineteen ninety three? So I was I was happy to see that it hit a million. And anytime you sell a million records, that's nothing to sneeze at. Exactly, you know, and. I mean, it, it did better than Outrider did. It did right. better than the Firm albums, I think, did. They may have gone platinum, but I don't know. It definitely had more push behind it. Mm. And yeah, and this just shows Jimmy is playing precisely. He's not just, you know, the just sloppy, you know, making the cool riffs and stuff like that, sliding up and down the neck. He can really do acoustic stuff. He can go back and forth. So it, this was a big hit for them and got it on the radio. And so I'm glad that helped propel the record into people's brains right but the big shift now is for over now mm -hmm. i remember back in the day we really liked this one because it's got mm, it's kind of got this big fat jimmy riff on yeah. it and, and it's good to kind of take a break after some of the, the faster ones and and david's like this is dark and malevolent i like this and then he worked in the lyrics that i guess it, it's about his relationship with his wife at the time yeah which party uh, party favor Tony Katane, yeah, the late, and great and groupie. <laughs> I can hear that. This is actually probably as far as the lyrics go. This is probably my favorite ones that he puts together because a lot of his stuff is just you know. I think a lot of Coverdale's lyrics are just kind of go along with the song. Like let's just put rhyming words together. And this they're kind of cliche. Yeah, most of them. You know, this yeah. one really seemed like he. Wait, I've got something to say about this, and I wonder too if "Shake My Tree" was also about Tawny. But yeah, this when you listen to some of this, it's like, oh yeah, this is uh, this is kind of nasty. We're really turning the knife into whoever this person is. Right, you know, it's not just like she was my girlfriend for a few years. They were actually married. Not to mention, as we talked about on our show with Sonny Pooney last year about White Snake '87, she was synonymous with the band because mm -hmm. she was in all those '87 videos, and then I think a little bit of Slip of the Tongue as well. So she was an important part of that band. And so when the band is like, okay, the band's breaking up, I'm putting them on hiatus, it's done. He was kind of breaking up with Tawny at, at the same time. Shouldn't have married her. It's fine if you want to hang out with her for several years, but you don't you don't marry that girl. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and there were there were some other issues too that she may have had with other people. I think Chuck Finley said he tried she tried to kill him with a stiletto heel one time. So I think yeah. it's it's one of those where 
what you love about her is going to kill you. And she dated OJ. I mean, she's got a pretty long list going on there. But, of course, the rumor at the time was because we lived in Orlando. We had tickets to the arena. Mm -hmm. They canceled the show. I guess we didn't realize they canceled the whole tour. The rumor was because she was filming the new WKRP in Cincinnati in Orlando. It's like, okay, well, they they canceled the show so she couldn't show up and, and, and come in there. I'm like, well, okay, A, they canceled the entire continental tour. B, they could have kept her out of there. It wouldn't have been that yeah, I, hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that was the that was the co- that was the uh, the cover story for that. I I yeah, I mean, it, Orlando's a big city. It's not like you could have you would have to run into someone that was yeah. convenient. Ridiculous. Um, yeah, it, but w- yeah, when you listen to this, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't remember Jimmy having a big breakup with anyone. Like not to this degree. So yeah, I think this was all about David and Tawny's. Yeah, Jimmy's pretty good at keeping his private life pretty yeah. private. Uh, he always has been. Did you ever see that new WKRP? Uh, if I did, I don't remember it. Yeah, I, I never did. Either. I mean, she was still smoking hot back then. Uh, good addition. Good for like the Lonnie Anderson kind of role. Mm-hmm. I would love to get the WKRP stuff, the originals on DVD, because the I'm sure the songs, it's like Miami Vice, the songs they play must make it so expensive that if you can get those DVDs, you need to hold on to them, kind of a thing, you know. But no, I, I like Over Now, you know, and I, I it's it's a nice change of pace. Jimmy's face melting thing at the end wasn't as cool as his Led Zeppelin days, but it was mm. a little remnant of the Led Zeppelin days, I would say. This is another one that's that's probably about maybe a minute too long. You know, it's yep. okay, we got it, let's go. There really is no mid-break point in this thing, so it's just another refrain of, oof, okay, let's move on. Yeah, I mean, they may have put this out on tape, but I don't think there's any way they put this out on LP in 93. Vinyl was completely dead at that point. I could be wrong, but I, we obviously only had it on CD. Next, Over Now was five, so Feeling Hot is six. Okay. Jimmy called this a real fun rock and roll number. They actually closed with this when they toured Japan. Okay. So they must have liked it. And it is an upbeat kind of, here we go. The boys are feeling hot tonight. Yeah. I don't know if it fit in 1993 with women to the left and women to the right. <laughs> but that frantic pace led to a, a kind of rockabilly solo from Jimmy on this one. Yeah, I have I have blues solo question mark. And then is he he's playing something else. Is that a Telecaster? It sounds a little twangy. Yeah, other than that, I, I wouldn't really like this song. This is kind of a generic white snakey sounding yeah. song, but that saves it. And I like the fact that the bass is kind of walking up and down too a lot of the bass on this record is just following along with the bass drum which i i don't like that at all i think if you hire a guy to play the bass let's go and get him a separate part yeah maybe he's intimidated like oh, i'm working with jimmy page and you it, know, it, jimmy's in control of all yeah. that and if he doesn't like what i'll play he'll just play the bass himself you know so <laughs> and jimmy does play bass on a track or two on here so that that can happen yeah the kind of whoa that is very cheesy and it's obviously written for a arenas mm-hmm. to have like a, a, cl- a crowd response it's kind of silly yeah i mean i it, it would have fit in good with white snakes catalog it doesn't fit in with zeppelins i think J- jimmy's jamming pretty well here mm-hmm. yeah on this one uh it, it's you know it's a frantic fun upbeat rock song would not have made a great single at the time but i understand why they wanted to play it live <laughs> Hey! 
moving on, number seven, Easy Does It, which was a B-side to one or two of these singles, which was most everything so far. Uh, of the first five songs, four of those are singles. Uh, it's just uh, Waiting On You was not. The fifth one is coming up, which is Take A Look At Yourself. This is 100% ripped off of Led Zeppelin. It is a meld of That's The Way and Rain Song. <laughs> You put those two together, and that's exactly <laughs> what this is. Apparently about celebrity life, but and it's a nice song, but it's for me it's too derivative. I can't hear those other songs while I listen to it. Yeah, I can't they, not hear the other songs. I should. Say. And there are a couple of there are a couple of themes in this record that come that it, like a couple of like the the drum track parts. I'm like, will you reuse this over again? Yeah, this is a yeah. You listen to it, you're like, oh, that's that's a I like this song. Oh, wait a minute, I've heard this before. And you're right. Then you go back and you're like, oh, I know where this came from. Correct. Yep. But you can't rip yourself off. So no problems there. I guess. Yeah. I'll take you anywhere the four winds blow and then boom, halfway through, it's a different song. Yeah. All of a sudden it's a, it's a hard rocker, right? It's cool. It's kind of like you had two things you want to do with the same riff. But, you know, for the most part, it went back to the chill part. Another, you know, six minute song. It's like, yeah, this is this is a little long. I mean, it's kind of cool and all. And I, I do like what Jimmy's playing on here quite a mm -hmm. bit. But again, A, it's derivative. B, it's long. And C, it's it, it's trying to be a couple things. And I'm not sure. I think I like it, but I'm not sure that it works 100%. And then, you know, again, it's it's a 61-minute record. Something we, you could have trimmed a little bit of fat off of here. Absolutely. And there's going to be some that we're going to get to. Happy, <laughs> happy trip. But this is one that I will listen to because it is interesting to me. And it's like, it, it's either, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Coverdale sounding exactly like Plant? Or would you have Jimmy sounding like himself in Led Zeppelin? I'll, I'll take the latter. And that's yeah. kind of what this one is to me. Mm -hmm. Hi, this is Christy Alexander Hallberg, author of the novel Searching for Jimmy Page. And you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Now, take a look at yourself. Apparently, there's a few different versions of this one. I call this the fifth single, even though I don't think it was the last. It wasn't the final single, but it was released as a single in the UK and maybe parts of Europe, but not really here, not really in America. I guess it's one they wrote together. They wrote it in Tahoe, in Lake Tahoe, and then again, they went to Barbados. They said the tempo changed once David started to add lyrics. I'm guessing that it made it slower. Okay. Okay. This definitely does, sounds like this could have been another White Snake song, and then you get into that. You know, the the first thing in the morning, the last thing in the night. I just want to hold you tight. Like, oh, oh yeah. these lyrics, stop, please. This this was sappy. I mean, I think if if we if you could have reworked some of these lyrics too, it might have been it might have hit a little harder. Some of these things, it's just like we we didn't have lyrics, so let's just put something on. These words rhyme. Do it. Throw it out yeah, there. I mean, it, there's a little orchestration here, uh, mm -hmm. but I mean, you know, I have the same note. This is more late 80s than 1983. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
and the solo wasn't memorable, and it's kind of a cheesy song overall. Honestly, this you could take this off. I can't believe this is one of the five singles. I'm embarrassed for Paige <laughs> to be a part of this song, <laughs> to be honest with you. When the sun is shining, or the sky is filled with rain, wherever we may be, I'm gonna make love with you again. Now, I don't need now he did come with me with Puff Daddy not too many years after this, mm. and I was embarrassed for that, but I kind of understood that better because it wasn't for me. You know, I, I'm mm-hmm. not going to buy it. I'm not glad you're doing that. But to get to a new generation through hip hop with one of the biggest artists in the world, I get that. I understand it. I don't like it, but I get it. It makes sense. Whereas this one's just like, eh. Now, apparently, there's like, you know, because they have like a 12 inch single or a CD single where you can have four songs on there. And so there's a pure acoustic version where there's not the big riff in it. It says there's a version with girls. I don't know if that means there's girl backup singers or there's mm-hmm. girls doing something in there. I don't know. I didn't really look that hard because I didn't really want to hear it, to be honest with you. <laughs> there are notes in here about them reissuing this or having a plan to do it. I haven't seen anything about that. I think this was probably kind of one of those COVID projects that was kicking around like, hey, what else can we do? With the unreleased stuff and some of these other you know, B-side tracks um, included, I have not seen anything about that come to fruition. Yeah, so two years, I mean, it's about two years ago, like almost to the day as we're talking here, Coverdale was talking about he wanted to do a reissue. He wanted to do a 30th anniversary issue, and he got the rights from Universal Music. He owns it now. Hmm. So there's some songs that weren't released. There's some different versions of songs. If there's live stuff, I would die to have a, would, a, yes. a live album from that because that looked like a killer set to me. I mean, look at this. You know, I mean, they, they do mostly covers. So they do 18 songs. But if you make White Summer, Black Mountainside all one song, which Jimmy did do that kind of all at once live. But so they do 18 songs. Eight of them were from this album. But 10 of them were from White Snake and Led Zeppelin, with only three of them, I believe, being from White Snake. But get this. I mean, this, uh, Absolution Blues slide it in, which is obviously White Snake. Rock and Roll over now. Cashmere's fifth. Hmm. Right after over now, then pride and joy. Take a look at yourself. Take me for a little while. Then in my time of dying, here I go again. White summer, black mountainside. Don't leave me this way. Shake my tree. Then they come out and do still of the night. You think Jimmy pulled out the bow for still of the night? I would. I mean, I would hope so. Come on. I mean, that would be cool. You know, and then they do out on the tiles. Killer. Mm -hmm. Black dog. The ocean. And then yeah, they end with feeling hot. I would love to have CDs, even a DVD of any of that. Plus, Guy Pratt was playing on it. Right. So you know it would, the bass would be better. God, it would be awesome. Now, so I'm, I'm for it. I, I hope it happens. I, yeah, I would say the same thing, too, because I, I, w- I would love to see that concert. And, and the interesting part is I was to do this. I'm like, well, I could pull the CD out, but eh, it's kind of a pain. I'll just look for it on Apple Music. It's not on Apple Music, like anywhere. 
like there's a the, it's on spotify about it. oh is it on spotify okay so yeah, yeah. i didn't know if he was messing with the rights or what the deal was but yeah I, I found it interesting they had nothing on there other than a narrative of what happened yeah no so i mean i I don't always buy, oh, look, it's the 30th anniversary. I'm like, yeah, great. You know, you're cleaning up something that wasn't all that great. But if you really got all the bonus stuff and you really got, I don't know if they would get that whole concert or not, but I would love to have the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. They might have to trim some of those songs out and pick the ones, you know, and, and I hope it wouldn't just be, we'll give you live stuff off Coverdale page. I would hope they would do a little bit of the Zeppelin and a little bit of the White Stake stuff. So, right. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. We'll see what happens this year. For the ninth song, Ninth song, Don't Leave Me This Way. Apparently, the guitar part was something that David had written a long time ago, like uh-huh. maybe back in the Purple Days or or certainly the early White Snake days. But he, you know, it never really saw the lead day. He showed it to Jimmy, and then Jimmy helped do something cool with it. So he likes this one. But I don't think there's much to it until Jimmy really does. I, I feel like I can tell the opening bit is something that almost anyone could do and a guitar mm-hmm. player could come up with. And then there's a little bit more that Jimmy kind of takes back. The other one. Like, I bet that's what Jimmy added on here. <laughs> I don't want to win, but I don't want to lose. I don't want to be alone no more, no more. I just want It's a little slow, but I like it better than the last one. I like it much better than Take a Look at Yourself. Yes. Yeah, th- this is it's it's blues, but it's I have it's almost 8 minutes long. Oh. Yeah. I gee. It's it's uh, they're trying to sound like Zeppelin. I get that. That's fine. You know, at this point in time that you figured out that's what this record is going to be. And then I have. Yeah. Jimmy is just wailing at the end of it. So I think you're right. I think he came in and said, "Okay, that sounds okay. Let me let me put my touch here on the end of this. Yeah, I mean, it does drag a little bit. Yeah, it's like eight minutes long. But the typical solo on this album is it's very bluesy. It's not very memorable. I think you're right. It gets better at the play out at the end. He's yeah. doing some cool stuff then. But the, the solo solo, there's, there's really not that much to it. And I do think there's a lot more Robert Plant mimicry <laughs> going on on this one. And I understand you want to have a song that you can stretch out, make it a blues one, mm-hmm. give Jimmy a chance to noodle and shine and do different things. But like eight minutes is, like, is a long time. They, I think they did. Did they play this live? I th- oh, yes, they did. Yes, yes, they absolutely played this live. So, you know, it was intended for them to go out and jam on it. It's a jam. So, mm. so they but you figure right. if, if this was written that, or the, if this started that long ago, like in the deep purple days, yeah, I mean, that's, he wanted to be Robert Plant. So I could see how mm-hmm. you would write a song to try and, uh, be just like your hero. It's it's funny when you right. watch when you watch. Uh, it's not in the round. What's that first Def Leppard? It's a concert that they did from the early days, like the, maybe the high and dry days. But anyway, oh, okay. Joe Elliott is on stage and he is doing all the Robert Plant moves. He's got the head to one side. He's got the you know the little shake that he would do. But I mean, mm-hmm. that's everybody wanted it. Once you saw Robert Plant, you're like, oh my god, I have to be. That's the way to do this. So That's you, kind right. of, you kind of just mold yourself into a version of that. And I don't know, like, it's kind of annoying because they say, yeah, David cover version or whatever. But like, wouldn't you be flattered in some way if you were playing like uh, this guy just wanted to be like you, like you were that iconic to him that he basically wanted to have a career just like you. I don't know. 
And when David started out in Deep Purple, he had dark brown hair, you mm-hmm. know, and and now it's the 80s and 90s. Now he's got the, the blonde hair, you know, <laughs> looking like, I mean, a lot of other bands did in the late 80s, that's for sure. So he's even looking like him. So you, you put him in a vest with no sleeves underneath it. You know, you give him the long blonde hair. You, you zoom back and it's like, yeah, maybe that is. You know, I, I get it. it. It's pretty obvious what the record company were trying to do with the videos and stuff like that. But his, his voice is different. Yeah, he can go up there and get those high notes and really hit those. But his bluesy raspy thing that, that's is where he's the playing. best yeah to yeah. me that's that's where he's the best when he's not trying to be anybody else just just sing the way that you can do it and let that kind of be your legacy that's right that's right all right so the 10th song on the record is absolution blues it's apparently the first song that they wrote together it starts very slowly and ominously until then jimmy picks up the pace and then the drums come in right boom and you're, you're now we're now we're off and running hmm. Who's singing backup on this? I don't know. A couple guys named John Sambataro and Tommy Funderburg. But it's weird to hear <laughs> other voices on it. And one of them sounds like, at first I'm like, well, maybe they got a woman singing on here because it was a little high on one of those. Yeah. You know? I find it odd that you call this thing Absolution Blues and then it gets going pretty fast. Like usually blues are, you know, I'm so low, my look girl left me, boom, 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 boom. But this is not that. This is this gets going pretty quick. becomes a little bit epic right because yeah. in the middle there you've got that kind of droning guitar sound over the machine gun drum beat before you get to the solo which is you know he's attempted putting some epicness into this song mm-hmm. uh it's just it isn't it, it just it just isn't epic i mean it's a decent hard rock blues song the kind you want to make with david coverdale but it's not it's not great to me i think the riff is fine i bet it was fun to play live and they opened their set with it, it looks like. So they must have had confidence in it or, or, or like playing it. So, I, you know, not my favorite. I mean, it's it's the first one. It's very rare that the first song you ever write together is is fantastic. you got to get to know each other a little bit first. Well, and especially, too, when it, they didn't – I don't think they had that much time in between when they met and when they put this record together. So you're right. I mean, it's just, you know, something – I don't know. They had two with, years, right? I mean, two, was two it, years. Was it two years? Yeah, I mean, they, huh. they started. They got together in 1991, and then over time. Now, and Jimmy's got stuff to do. I know he's busy mm-hmm. being Jimmy, but I mean, this comes out at three different dates, right? March 15th, 1993, Europe. March 16th, oh, 1993, yeah, okay. North America. March 18th, 1993, Japan. But yeah, I mean, they had two years to put this together. Also, I heard that they only wanted to use analog stuff. They didn't want to go the digital route because mm-hmm. that was more the Zeppelin, White Snake, you know, philosophy. Yeah. So maybe that, and, and Jimmy's just, I mean, he, you know, he's hard to deal with. I mean, I know that they had, he and David produced the album. I think a guy named Mike Fraser, who was being their engineer, eventually also got producer credit. But you know, Jimmy's always going to produce it. So, you know, he can fiddle with it all he wants. And sometimes if you have all the time in the world, that's not good. 
Seriously, the, the, the art suffers because insane, yeah, yeah, exactly. It changes. Oh, what if I tweak it just like? But if you've like you've got one day to go and do the overdub, okay, go and do the overdub and then do it the best you can, and then that's it. It's on wax, you know. So having having a huge budget and all the time in the world is actually sometimes a negative thing. So he was probably better off not recording the Zeppelin stuff on uh, digital, or he'd still be there. Maybe, because <laughs> Maybe so. that's what I've heard at least. When you have the tape, mm-hmm. it, it's a it's an end point. Like we're done with this tape, you either have to get a new one, which you pay for, or work with what you've got. And a lot of times they just say, "That's it. We're we're not spending any more money on tape. Go mm-hmm. and, and and mix what you've got." But digital, we can record this a million more times. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a billion different directions you can go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, now then we come to the penultimate track, number eleven. Whisper a prayer for the dying. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten about this, but I don't know how many times we listened to this record all the way through. My guess is we listened to the first five songs quite a bit. <laughs> and then we would take it out and, and play something else, or we'd skip on the five CD changer to the next CD, mm-hmm. whatever. But this is better than I remember it. It's weird, but it, it's kind of a cool way to end the record. Look, I love the opening. It could almost be an Iron Maiden kind of opening and in fact he even says stranger in a strange land during the first you know minute minute and a half whatever it is so it's it's better than absolution blues i mean it's mellow and ominous but then it has this uplifting bit before you get to like the heavy metal part Mm -hmm. you know because this this has a lot of different things going on at it and it's the beginning part i love the first minute and change where he's just plucking the guitar yeah, and the lyrics, if you listen to it, are pretty heavy duty. There, it's a, a lot of the Gulf War Stuff, images yeah. that they're putting in about how you know you're in the jungle or you're in the desert and you're dying, and people are you know why are you there? They're they're lying to you as far as why you're you're in this spot, and mm-hmm. so th- to get that from Coverdale, like that's that's a interesting social commentary you're making in 1993. Yeah, and then it then that part stops. And right. then you go into something totally different, and then he's just screaming at you. That's the thing. He's like, he is screaming. He's really high here. He, mm-hmm. he couldn't do this one today. Reports are David's voice is a little bit shot, and, and when he tours White Snake or whatever, they have to tune down a little bit. And okay. He, he can't quite do it, and so he, there's no way he could do this one today. And then the keys come in and change it a little bit. Yeah. And there's some keyboard then. And, and and now it's like, and now I'm like, okay, now there's like too much going on. Like I, I like the shift and doing a couple different things. Now it's like they're trying to be too many things here. And I don't think they played it because I, this would have been hard to pull off live. Yeah. And, and I wonder too, if they, if they, the message in there was not something they wanted to really push that hard. And yeah, this is, this is a weird song. There, there's it's, a lot going on here and it's, and it's weird because it's at the end of the record. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, is that last spot, is it for something that's really going to anchor it or for something that's like, well, we've got it, but let's put it at the end. Like you said, I don't think a lot of people are going to make it through this record all the way through. Well, 
but yeah, and it fades out too. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, now it's just kind of over. But there's this part was going dying, dying. It sounds just like Robert Plant going yeah. crying, crying. I mean, it sounds exactly <laughs> like it, you know. So you can't get away from that, David. I mean, you just can't. You sound too much like Robert, and people know those songs too well. Mm-hmm. Now, for some of the songs that didn't make it on, there's a song called Saccharin, and you can get it on YouTube. Okay. Uh, and it's pretty well finished. It, it could have been on this album. There's a song called Good Love out there, too, that you can also find on YouTube, which are from these sessions. But there was a, f- and, and that may have been repurposed by David because said that there was a few songs that, you know, a couple of them made it on White Snake's 1997 album, Restless Heart, Woman Trouble Blues, and Take Me Back Again which may have started as other things. Mm. And just a few years ago, they put out Flesh and Blood. There's a song called Gonna Be All Right that I guess was was part of it. There's a song from his 2000 solo album, River Song was the name of it. So some of this you know, may have been repurposed, stuff like that. Plus, like I said, there's some shorter versions for single edits and things like that. There's apparently a few different versions of Take a Look at Yourself. So it seems to me that they could make, they could re, you know, they could remaster the original it sounds like they've got plenty for a second disc full of outtakes, you know, songs that weren't finished, all that kind of stuff. And then you want to put in a DVD or CDs of the of one of the live shows in the Budokan. Mm. That would be awesome. And a DVD would be amazing. To see Jimmy and Guy playing together, I don't think you'll see that anywhere else. Yeah, I wonder what the what the quality is on that video. But even if it was even if it was rough, just to see that because you know, like we said, they never made it to the United States, so there's nobody here that saw them play live. To see those Japan shows in whatever condition they're in would be it would be great because it just wasn't something that was readily available. Right, you know, and and Jimmy just he hadn't toured a ton, right? He he did the Arms tour, which is a small tour in the early '80s with all the other legends and. Mm-hmm. You know, he would have two or three songs on stage, and that was it. The Firm did some tours, but they weren't ginormous tours. Uh, I think they did good tours. His Jimmy Page Outrider tour didn't do very well. I know they canceled the show in Louisville. I think they canceled some of the other shows along the way. So Jimmy wasn't playing live much. And just to have something from that time, I mm-hmm. think, would be would be incredible. So I, I am very, very hopeful. Now, the thing is, if it were coming... I feel like they would pre-announce it by now. I mean, especially if it was going to come around the date of release, like in mid-March or something like that. Maybe it's something we'll get by the end of the year. And, you know, obviously there's going to be problems with rights to the White Snake songs and rights to the Zeppelin songs and all that kind of stuff. And, but I, I'm just, I'm very hopeful because I would buy it. I, I would buy the deluxe version of this thing. Uh, yeah, and I would then, too. Absolutely. That would substitute the fact that we never got to see them and we, we traded our tickets in because we needed the, the 3250 <laughs> or whatever it was. was I would die to still have that ticket stuff. Yeah. I know. <laughs> we should have just said, here's the money back. Can you just like stamp it or, you know, put a punch hole through it or something like that? So we can't try to get our money back again, but we can keep the souvenir. Huh. Uh, yeah. We should we should have tried that anyway, but, but I don't. I, it's late now baby the one thing i will say is that i know coverdale is very hip to putting out everything again like he's got deluxe versions of the 87 record slip of the tongue so Mm -hmm. it's him doing that would not be out of the question 
Yeah, and they did, uh, for all what I understand, and I don't own them, but I, I'd like to, in the last few years, he put out like three separate White Snake greatest hits. Like it was red, white, and blue. Mm, and like yeah. the blue, the blue was the blues. Like here's the blues songs. I mean, like the Bernie Marsden early stuff from White Snake. And, yeah. But it's, it's from their whole collection. And, you know, and they had the rockers, and then I think they had maybe one that was like ballads yeah, or you know, songs. slower. Yeah, the love mm. songs, you know. And for all, for all, uh, for what I've heard, they're all been very well reviewed, and people really dig them. So that is a great place for people to uh, start with White Snake. Of course, David's like, I would work with Jimmy again in a minute. I think Jimmy, he is older, obviously. He's like seventy-eight, maybe getting close to seventy-nine now. I don't see him touring with David. I just don't mm-hmm. see that happening. But you never know, I guess. And if they could rework a couple, maybe put together a couple new things to put on there for the re-release, it seems to me that they could do. Uh, you know, they could just do a straight remaster re-release. They could do a, a remaster with a second disc that has, you know, the lost tracks and the single stuff like that. And then you could also do the DVD version that has the uh, the Japan stuff on there, maybe a four-disc version or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I would I would buy that. I would totally pick that up because it would be a great souvenir uh, for this time that we, you know, we kind of missed out on. Because after this, look, that was it. They did the Japan thing. The American tour didn't work out. And then Jimmy, you know, look, Jimmy's got options. And, and Jimmy got the opportunity to go back and do something with Robert, which he did, which was highly successful. <laughs> I was going to say that while the Coverdale Page tour did not sell out the Orlando Arena, Landon Page did no problem. There Easily. was not a seat left at that place. That's for sure. You know, and it was it was amazing. And I, I remember thinking that while we were sitting in the arena, like, this is great. Like it would have been cool to see Coverdale Page here, like less than a year before, but <laughs> it's not nearly the same as being here to hear these reworked Zeppelin tracks with an orchestra, mm-hmm. with that killer band that they had. It was it was special. So yeah, strange moment in time. And I guess it's got a special place in our hearts because we lived together and lived through it and we're trying to see them live or just such huge Jimmy Page fans. Like at least our dream of seeing him in person came true. Right. And and I think it really kind of put him back on the map of mainstream rock, because like you said, he did work with Puff Daddy and he was in the not only did he use the the track, he was in the ba- he was in the video, too. So it was right. like you said, hip hop guys who had never seen Jimmy Page before was there. And then he worked with the Black Crows for a while in the early 2000s. Right. Which I think. Yeah. I guess that I did a little reading on that. That turned into a disaster. Thanks to the Robinson brothers. But uh, yeah. I avoided that. I still haven't listened to that. The live at the Greek uh, mm-hmm. thing with him. I still I just avoided it. You know, even though, look, I, I don't like the Black Crows, but I gained a lot of respect for them after I saw them live. Like mm-hmm. they're a pretty killer live band. I saw them open for the dead in 1995. I just I don't like Chris Robinson as a person. I don't love the sound of his voice. <laughs> Rich has got some good riffs. Sure. But there's a lot of people out there with good riffs. So I, I just always avoided it. I'll tell you another one I avoided, and I probably ought to give it a chance, is walking into Clarksdale. Okay. Because at, after Jimmy and Robert had this big unleaded, the the, the album, the, the VHS and the DVD sold very well. They all went platinum. Then they did a tour that went very well. Then they did the walking into Clarksdale record, which to this day I've never picked up. But I saw them on that tour because the second tour they did, all of the first one we saw was them with a band of 10 or 12 people plus an orchestra for some bits. The second tour is basically like Zeppelin's like four people on stage, maybe a fifth at some point, but you know, they, they're basically doing a Led Zeppelin kind of show. I was saw that, that with Emer- Emerson in Jacksonville. Was that new stuff? 
walking into Clarksdale, or was that reworked? It was new stuff, and okay. that's why I didn't get it. Okay, I just so, kind of wanted to keep them in their place, right? Yeah, and and they had they had knocked it out of the park with that unleaded, where it was you know songs that you knew, but they reworked them so they were updated a little bit, and they were kind of it, this was the version that we were used to. But yeah, I I, I remember when when Walking to Clarksdale came out, and I yeah, it, may, it might be worth to go back and listening to it now. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I've done that for years. I'm like, well, look, if I listen to it and I love it, then I'm going to listen to the hell out of it. I listen to it, I don't like it, I'm going to be disappointed. But if I don't listen to it, it'll have time to, to grow. You know, uh -huh. in the ether, I'll be like thinking, well, I've still got this I can go back and listen to. Like, I, <laughs> I, I may have heard every Beatles album and every Beatles song, but if I really like sat down and listened to every single one of them over and over again, like I have some of the albums that I love, I have it. And part of that's because I want to have something that I can fall back on with mm -hmm. and still be able to learn and listen. So yeah, that's what I've been kind of waiting to do on, on walking into Clarksdale. But yeah, no, it, it got Jimmy working again. He didn't do much throughout the 80s and the early 90s until this. And then he did Unleaded. He did the tour. He did Walking into Clarksdale. He did the next tour. He did the thing with the Black Crows. He did the thing with Puff Daddy. You know, he, he, was, he was viable again. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he it probably turned a lot of people back on to Led Zeppelin who were, or even even introduced it to them, who was too young to even have any kind of connection to the original stuff. And I think to this day he still lives on through this these projects. I mean, I remember when when that Black Crows thing came out, and there were a lot of people who were younger than I was who were into it because of that. And it's like, right. yeah, this if you like this, go back and listen to the original. You will not be disappointed. That is me and Jackson and our take on Coverdale Page, the 1993 collaboration from the two legends of rock and roll, Jimmy Page and David Coverdale. Did we love it? Eh, maybe not. Did we hate it? Definitely not. There's some great stuff in there. Overall, look, we're huge Jimmy Page, huge Led Zeppelin fans. We like White Snake a lot. David Coverdale's done a lot of things over the years that we like. So when this came out in 1993, when we were in college, we were hoping to see anything from Jimmy Page again. Didn't think a Led Zeppelin reunion would ever happen. Of course, now we don't think it really should. But we were psyched to get this. And there's some good stuff on this. And it was popular. It was on the radio. It's a platinum seller. The tour may not have really taken off in America. We did have tickets. We did trade them in. But now that it's 30 years old, we look back at it. Yes, some of it we like, some of it we don't. But I'm still glad it happened. And it really set up the reunion between Jimmy Page and Robert Plant in 1994 for the big unleaded album and video and tour and more things after that. So a moment in time that's special to us. Maybe they'll do a special 30th anniversary edition. We'll see. Time will tell. Not going to be a long post-mortem here, guys, because I'm trying to make a big move across continents, trying to get back to my home in America. So as usual, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. You can email us, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. Tweet or DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72 on Twitter. We're on Instagram. I think we might be on Facebook. We're definitely on YouTube, but we don't have a huge following. So if you want to check us out and follow us, that would mean a lot to us. Just please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Good Pods, wherever you might go. And if you think about it, please give us a positive review. It just helps us find more rock and rollers like you. And we want to thank Pantheon Pods for making us 
part of their family. We want to thank our incredible sponsors, rarevinyl.com. And if you use the code podcast, go to rarevinyl.com. You can save 10% off your orders. So maybe you want one of those European Coverdale page singles. You can probably find it at rarevinyl.com. Can't tell you what's coming next week because I don't know where in the world I'm going to be over the next week. I just hope that we can get a show out to you. So you'll have to tune in to see what we're up to. But to all of you rockers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.